where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. And this morning's scripture, I think, is a gift as well. In our story, we're going to be traveling to the region of Tyre and Sidon. These were prosperous port cities, so think of it as the ancient version of San Francisco's Fisherman's Wharf. Allow yourself to travel that distance where commerce and trading were taking place and where settled and seasonal communities intermingled. In other parts of scripture, we hear that early in Jesus's ministry, people from this region were among the crowds that heard about him and came out to hear him and to be healed by him. And today we hear a specific story about a time when Jesus went to that region and was sought out by a woman who was not of Israelite descent. So from a tradition standpoint, she was an outsider. She would have been one of those seasonal people, perhaps. If you ever lived in a tourist town, you know what I'm talking about. And what unfolds is an exchange that demonstrates what mercy can sound like in a moment of desperation. And the exchange also demonstrates the expansive nature of God's mercy. So let's listen now to this story from the community we know as Matthew, chapter 16. No, chapter 15. So Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he didn't answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Seems as though she knew Jesus or knew of him. Maybe she was one of those early followers that went out to see what was going on, who this new teacher was in town. And she comes onto the scene quite suddenly and shouting, 
Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. She uses a title of respect. Lord, meaning master or teacher. And she acknowledges his lineage as a son of David. And he did not respond at all. But the disciples somehow thought they were talking to them too. And then she came and knelt before him, even more humbly and more respectful, and said, Lord, help me. And as strange as it is to hear these words come out of Jesus' mouth, I want you to hear them and stick with them. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Yes, he did. As an outsider, she was a dog. And the food, the bread of life, that is Jesus himself, was not sent for her. And it's worth pointing out that this story comes in between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, where bread was given freely and there was so much left over. Why would he not offer her a morsel or a loaf? And here's where it changes. Because I guess, from a cultural perspective, even though I hate to think of Jesus uttering those words from a cultural perspective, that first part could even be a little predictable. But here's where it changes. She says, yes. Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And he says, woman, great is your faith. I go back and forth with this story between thinking it was an organic moment where Jesus was learning as he goes, where grace was at work within him, and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, she's right. It's bigger than even I thought. And I like that. I like that interpretation of it. And then sometimes I think it was a staged moment. You know, like one of those skits you do on retreat or at youth group, a skit that's used as a valuable teaching moment where the powerful one is using power in a new way and taking what was ordinary and making it extraordinary or taking what was common and then opening it up in a brand new way. Either way, I find it to be helpful and important. I mean, what about you? How do you see it? And I think as we look at this, it's worth noting what is absent. What is absent in both people, Jesus and the woman, is defensiveness. They're not arguing. What's absent also is power hoarding. It's not like, this is the way it is. End of conversation. Punctuation ends the sentence. No. And what's also absence is only one right way. 
This is expansion in process. Now, the ones who are really having trouble with Jesus and the ones who might have been witnessing this little skit or this organic exchange are the scribes and the Pharisees. Because right before this story, they're having a lot of trouble with Jesus. They've been testing him and they're asking him, you know, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And in this instance, they're saying they don't wash their hands before they eat. But when it comes to Jesus, his relationship with God and his understanding of the scriptures is different. How could it not be? He's certainly influenced from his own position, just like we all are. And he's not an outsider, necessarily. He is an insider by birth. But he doesn't have the full cultural power that are granted to the scribes and the Pharisees. See, by their title, they're given a lot of power. They're the ones that are to tell us what their traditional practices and beliefs are. But it's Jesus' own position as someone who is an insider but on the fringes that allows him to see things differently. If we take this to an extreme and over an extended period of time, practices and beliefs that are presented as true and even God-given become accepted as, as the way things are. Taken to an extreme and over an extended period of time, the beliefs and practices are expected to be held in common. And in fact, depending upon how long they are held in common, they even stop being articulated. You're just supposed to know. If you've ever worked with the refugee population, it's a great way to learn what is held in common and practiced by all. This kind of held-in-common presumption is the basis of a supremacy culture or of a superior culture, where cultural norms and systems of law are presented in practices and beliefs that are fiercely defended, that are enforced with great power, and that are upheld as the right way to which many then and now are saying, no, not so fast. The woman said, yes, but I acknowledge your teaching, but. And rather than outsiders or culturally less powerful people being expected to learn and follow the beliefs and practices if they want to be included, it's worth exploring a few questions. Whether you are a founder or the last one in the room, getting at the unspoken beliefs and practices of a group can be very helpful. These are the things that need to be unearthed. Questions like, what is valued? 
So look at that story. What was valued? First, it was the tradition. I have come for these people. And then it was the woman. Who was served? I think in that instance, all of them are served. But most importantly, God is served. Because God's mercy always expands beyond our understanding. Does it sound like God to you to say, sorry, I didn't come for you? I don't think so. Who is followed? That's a tougher one. Because culturally, the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones that are obeyed, perhaps. But the one that is followed is the one that is speaking and healing. The ills that are created by this rigid and these rigid teachings. And how were decisions made? You know, Jesus didn't pause the conversation and confer with his disciples. He didn't go off and pray. Wow. It just happened in that moment. These are valuable questions for a church council, for a community nonprofit, for a country. They're valuable questions even just for a person. In this moment, what is valued? And where will I align? Who is served? Who is followed? How are decisions made? Remember, the outsider in today's story is the woman and Jesus. Jesus is not the center of power in the ancient world or in this world. But Jesus is the center of power in God's world. And that dichotomy exists throughout Scripture. I'm not a big fan of the dichotomy, but I think it's helpful to think about it, to think about who is served, which world is served. So whether it's religious extremism or systemic racism or the very practical and very timely question about Thanksgiving in a time of pandemic. You know, that was a big leap, I know. I'm going to give you time to catch up. But how are you going to be making decisions around a season and a ritual and a practice and a tradition of giving thanks. I think it's safe to say that most people are going to have to go with a second or a third or a fourth choice this year. So how do we make that into our top choice? 
and be at peace with that. I'm very familiar with my inner scribe and Pharisee. And I hope that you are becoming aware of that too. It's the part of you that's going to pout all the way to Thanksgiving if you let it. Because it's not going to be the people around the table that you want and the dishes that you want and the food that you might want. Because if it's not on the table, it's not Thanksgiving. (laughs) But I think we're being asked to practice mercy with ourselves, with those who we consider to be family, and with those who are in our community. And really find meaning in the moment. This is the year to take a look at what giving thanks really means. This is the year to take a moment to ask what would be meaningful. So as a church community, we have a lot of options. We have provided the option to meet on Zoom, in groups, in supper groups. We have asked for food bags to be collected so that others may eat. But I'm guessing you have other things in mind too, and I hope you do. Because this is the year where tradition is right before us and we're invited to be merciful and to perhaps create a new one that would reflect the expansive nature of God's love that is intended to feed us all where even a crumb can satisfy so deeply. If your love and your tradition is not expanding, it might be getting weaker. Let's remember where God is, where Jesus is, and where the power is. It's shared. <laughs>